and welcome to the Narrow Road Podcast, a place to share the journey of walking with God on the narrow road that leads to life. I hope that you find rest and encouragement here, but above all, the awareness that you're not alone on the way. Hello, hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Narrow Road Podcast. I am your host, Rachel Bowyer, and it is my great pleasure to be back with you today for another episode. How are you? How are you doing today? In my neck of the woods, it's a beautiful, sunny afternoon. Gorgeous, gorgeous sunshine, absolutely bright day. Bit of a cold one, though. We had just had some absolutely unseasonably warm weather, followed by a severe cold snap that actually resulted in the first snow we've had in our city the entire time we've lived here. A very, very small snow, but snow nevertheless, so that was pretty cool. Anyway, today I wanted to talk through the story of Esther, the ancient story of Esther in the Bible. It's it's one of those stories that for any girl or woman growing up in the church, they kind of cling to the story of Esther because there's not too many heroines mentioned in the Bible, unfortunately. Not that there probably weren't more heroines than we get to know, but uh, I'm sure there were many heroines throughout biblical history. However, very few are mentioned. <laughs> but there is an entire book dedicated to a woman named Esther, who is a Jewish woman who married a ancient Persian king. And the story has always been a fascinating one. Although I have to say, in reading it back, it does she does still share quite a bit of limelight with um, her relative that raised her, Mordecai. I think I think the book is kind of evenly sparse between both of them, but nevertheless, it is called Esther. And she is a fantastic and fascinating character. The whole story is absolutely fascinating. The The history behind it is interesting. The arguments behind the book of Esther and the existence of these people and these characters is equally interesting. But for the purposes of our podcast today, we are going to read it from the Bible. We're going to talk through this fascinating story of bravery, of heroism, of gallant, gallantly standing up against something evil, even if it means you might lose your life. And so I want to share this story with you, and I hope it sort of grows your imagination. I hope you can picture the story and think it through. I wish it was talked through and preached about a bit more, but we're going to dive into it today and hope we really take something from it. Let's go. Okay, so a little backstory on on Esther's journey here. So arguably, she was married to King Ahasuerus. <laughs> I'm not even going to try to pronounce the Hebrew version of his name. I'm going to go with the contested Persian version of his name, which would have been Xerxes. Xerxes is much easier for me to say than Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus? Maybe maybe it's that simple, but I'm going to call him Xerxes for the purposes of my ease in this podcast. So he, according to the Bible and the internet, this was a Persian king 
who reigned over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. Now, his existence is contested, his name is contested, all of it's contested because that's the world we live in. But what we do know is there was someone by this name, relatively, who ruled the Achaemenid Empire, as it was known in Persia, Achaemenid, between 486 and 465 BCE. The reason why this story about him marrying Esther is contested is because Persian kings did not marry outside a restricted number of Persian noble families. So historians find it extremely unlikely that he named and married a Jewish woman. However, as you read the story of Esther, you will find that she was raised by, we call him her uncle, but I don't think he was her uncle. That's not how the Bible actually describes him. He's a relative. It, she was the daughter of his uncle, and she had no parents. Her parents had passed away, and he had taken her in, and he had raised her. And so around this time, King Xerxes had a wife named Queen Va Vashti, and he had thrown a big party, and she had thrown a big party. So he had thrown a big party for all of his leadership and princes and whatnot, and she had thrown a big party for all of her sort of handmaids and other pr uh, princesses and things like that. And during that time, Xerxes had requested her presence to come and come before him wearing her royal crown in order to show her beauty to the people and the officials, for she was truly beautiful to behold. However, she refused to come at the king's command, brought by his eunuchs. His eunuchs brought the command, and the king was furious and his anger burned within him. And the little messengers in his ears got to talking and saying she's going to set a precedent in the kingdom that women are going to basically become disrespectful of their husbands and not do what they're told and not honor their husbands and blah, blah, blah. So something needs to be done about her. You need to, you know, kind of make a, send a message about how unacceptable her behavior is by not coming to the king's command. Arguably, when you look at it from a, from a normal person's perspective, there's a, fairly high likelihood that this was a lot of men who were drunk and so forth. And she may not have felt comfortable going and basically parading herself and just being ogled and oogled um, in all of her beauty and splendor in front of a large group of drunk men. <laughs> um, so seems relatively reasonable to me. However, because he was the king, you do not, unfortunately, whether you're the queen or not, have any uh, rights of your own to deny him. So he was probably embarrassed, had all of his big dogs around him, and they were saying, oh, wow, look, his wife doesn't listen to him. <laughs> and he's not going to have that. So he divorces her and he goes on the hunt for a new queen. And around this time, Mordecai, who is a prolific Jewish representative. So there was quite a lot of Jews throughout this massive 120-some province empire, quite a lot of Jews living in and amongst it. And Mordecai was kind of this unelected representative of them in a way. He was wealthy. I think he seems quite important, quite well-statured. And he had ended up raising young Esther. And when the call went out for all beautiful young virgins to come to the king, and be presented before him, he thought, hey, you know what? This could be a great opportunity for our family, no doubt, politically and or otherwise, to 
to get a foothold in this important empire. And so he presents Esther. And she's actually made, she's made up. She's cleaned, washed, massaged, purified, made to smell good, hair done, makeup done. And they work on her. They work on all these women for about a year, <laughs> perfecting them before they send them before the king. So quite a lot went into this vanity uh, project of, of beautifying these women before they were presented to the king. And they were presented to the king and spent the night with them overnight, for better or for worse. And he would ultimately decide which of the ones he encountered would be, were beautiful enough, were, you know, got him enamored enough that he wanted to marry them. And in the end, Esther was the one. However, Mordecai had told her specifically not to tell him that she was a Jew, not to tell him where she comes from, who she comes from. And that may be why, in the historical record, there is no evidence of a Persian king having married a Jewish queen, because perhaps they never um, wrote down her identity as such. Questionable. So that's kind of where we're up to at the point where I'm actually going to start reading the story in the Bible. So that's a little bit of history. King Xerxes divorced his wife because she wouldn't say, or she wouldn't come parade herself in front of him and his men. And he went out on his campaign of finding a new wife, Esther, the adopted daughter of Mordecai, who was a well upstanding Jew, sent her in to be presented as a possible future bride to King Xerxes, and he did, in fact, choose her. So that's where we're at before things take a drastically negative turn. So let's read together. Okay, so I'm starting in Esther chapter 3, book of Esther chapter 3. This is in the Old Testament of the Bible. And we're going to start in uh, verse 1 of chapter 3, where it says, After these things, King Xerxes promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agite, Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. So this guy gets promoted. He's an important guy. He's probably son of someone important. So he gets put above all the princes who were with him, kind of like the king's right-hand man in a way. And as it turns out, um, there was a command that went out that everyone should basically pay homage to Haman and bow down whenever they see him and so on and so forth. But Mordecai, who spent a lot of time in the king's gate or in this sort of area quite near where the royals and the important people would spend time, Mordecai would not pay homage to him. He would not bow. He would do no such thing. And when he was confronted about it, he just simply refused. He just wasn't going to do it. That was how he felt about it. <laughs> and when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay him homage, he was filled with wrath. But because he couldn't just go ahead and kill Mordecai because of his standing with the Jews, he was an important figure to the Jews, he decided, hmm, well, I can't just kill him because we'd probably have a bit of a mutiny on our hands. So I'll do one better. I'm just going to have all the Jews in our provinces killed. So he went to the king and he said, listen, there's a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all of the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all the other people's, and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed. 
and I will pay ten thousand talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his ring, and he signed off on it. And he said, the money and the people are given to you to do with them as seems good to you. So there were letters sent out by couriers into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their possessions. A copy of the document was to be issued as law in every province being published for all people, that they should be ready for that day. The couriers went out, hastened by the king's command, and the decree was proclaimed in Shushan, the citadel. So the king and Haman, Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Shushan was perplexed. Very interesting. So that's how one man decided to deal with one man. Pretty, pretty shocking, really. One man refused to bow down to another man, and that enraged the fragile ego of the other man, who then decided, I'm going to just destroy all Jews in retaliation. That's my answer to this. And the way he sort of poisoned um, King Xerxes was to say, these people with their different laws, different from other people, and they don't keep your laws, it's not fitting for them to remain. So he's basically saying, because we don't have everyone synced up, everyone in complete, you know, um, you know, they're all not, they're, no, they're not the same. Not everybody's the same, exactly the same, following exactly the same order and rules. You can see that, just that discrimination, that lack of support for diversity that fear of the other, the different one. And that's all it took, really, to poison this man. And obviously, Haman came from a wealthy family, an important family. So this is somebody that King Xerxes is like, hey, you know what? If you think that this is problematic for the empire, if it doesn't make me look good, if there's, if it's going to create a problem, I trust you to deal with it. I've put you in this position. I trust, I trust what you think here. And he really probably didn't think much further than that, unfortunately. So now we're going to drop down to chapter 4, verse 1. <clears throat> and when Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. He cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, and the queen was deeply distressed. Then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and take his sackcloth away from him, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend her, and she gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the city square that was in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries to destroy the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the written decree for their destruction, which was given at Shushan that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and that he might command her to go into the king and make supplication to him and plead before him for her people. So Hathak returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and gave him a command from Mordecai. 
all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law, put all to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these thirty days. So they told Mordecai Esther's words. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther, Do you not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than any all the... Hang on. Sorry. Let me read that again. Verse 13. And Mordecai told them to answer her, Do you not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's... Okay. (laughs) I'm going to read this one more time. I'm going to get it this time, guys. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther, Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to this kingdom for such a time as this. This is really important because once Esther finds out what's going on, she knows that even though she's the queen, she can't just approach the king whenever she wants to. And there must have been some kind of a scheduling system, but she says, look, I'm not even supposed to go before him for the next 30 days. There's not a window for me to to go in. So if I just go before him unannounced and uninvited, there is one rule for how he deals with people who do that, and it is instant death. (laughs) The only way you don't instantly die is if he basically hands out his golden scepter in your direction and says, essentially saying to those around him, this person's all good. Yes, I didn't invite them here, but I will go ahead and give them a moment of my time. And so for her, she's thinking, obviously, I don't have 30 days to wait. This this notice has gone out that on this particular day coming up not long from now, all Jews are meant to be killed. And I am one. <laughs> so I don't have a lot of time, so obviously I'm going to, I have to risk my life either way. Either I don't do anything and I probably die, or I do something and I probably die. But either way, these are my options. But her uncle, we're going to call him that, even though maybe he wasn't, he says, don't think that you will escape in the king's palace any more than anyone else will. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. I think this is really interesting because Mordecai, even though he's devastated that this sort of command has gone out from the king to kill all the Jews, he's still, and he's grieving it. I think he's grieving it because how can this be? This is so terrible. He probably feels a certain amount of guilt, like I brought this on because I wouldn't bow to this very fragile man named Haman. (laughs) But you know, so he's grieving it, but at the same time, he still has this faith that he knows God, his father, is not going to let all the Jews be destroyed. He, he just knows that. He is relying on the faith of all of the trials and tribulations the Jewish nation had suffered up until this time, that, that there's no way they're going to be eradicated. So he's certain God will come for him. But he's like, you know, why don't you think maybe you are getting to be a part of our salvation story here, Esther? Like, maybe... Just maybe you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Yes, God will save us somehow, but what if you're his plan of saving us? And I think that that is such an interesting way to have looked at it. He had faith that they were going to be saved. He didn't know by how, but he was curious to see if she had the boldness and the bravery 
to, to stand up and if she was the tool, the instrument that God was going to use to save the day. Cool. Okay, now is where it gets good. And we're going to read the Bible at length. So Esther then told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Ooh, that's bravery. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther commanded him. Now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace, across from the king's house, while the king sat on his royal throne in the royal house, facing the entrance of the house. So it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court that she found favor in his sight, and the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter. And the king said to her, What do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half the kingdom. So Esther answered, If it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I have prepared for him. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, that he may do as Esther has said. So the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. At the banquet of wine, the king said to Esther, What is your petition? It shall be granted to you. What is your request? Up to half the kingdom, it will be done. Then Esther answered and said, my, peti my petition and request is this. If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, then let the king and Haman come to the banquet which I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. So Haman went out that day joyful and with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, and that he did not stand or tremble before him, he was filled with indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and called for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. When Haman told them of his great riches, the multitude of his children, everything in which the king had promoted him, and now he, he had advanced above all the officials and servants of the king. Moreover, Haman said, Besides Queen Esther, invited no one but me to come in with the king to the banquet that she prepared, and tomorrow I am again invited by her along with the king. Yet all this avails me nothing, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows be made, fifty cubits high, and in the morning suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it. Then go merrily with the king to the banquet. And the, this thing pleased Haman, so he had the gallows made. That night the king could not sleep, so one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers, who had sought to lay hands on King Xerxes. Then the king said, What honor or dignity has been bestowed to Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. So the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman, who had just entered the outer court of the king's palace, to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him, the king's servant said to him, Haman is there, standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king asked him, What shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman answered the king, 
For the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought, which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden, which has a royal crest placed on its head. Then let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that the man array them, that they may array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback through the city square, and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry then, take the robe and the horse, as you have suggested, and do so for Mordecai the Jew, who sits within the king's gate. Leave nothing undone of all that you have spoken. So I've got to stop for a second. This is so funny. Okay, so <laughs> Esther invites Haman to a banquet that was just her and the king. And she says, I'm going to do another banquet tomorrow. I just wanted him to come. And I wanted him to know that I'm inviting him to another one. And I'll tell you what else I may be in need of, King, when that other one comes. So Haman's getting his excitement up. He's really getting excited. Like he got invited to one special meeting with the royal family. He's getting invited to another special meeting. And he's really excited about it. And he's bragging to all of his friends and his wife. But he says, but I can't even enjoy this because Mordecai, <laughs> Mordecai won't stand when he sees me, won't bow when he sees me. He's just indifferent to me and it's driving him nuts. And so they get the idea of, of you know, building these gallows that they're going to hang him from. And then as the king is reminded of Mordecai, and this was a story I didn't mention in, in the Bible previously, but Mordecai had basically heard through <clears throat> through his dealings in the, in the king's gate of two of the king's sort of right-hand eunuchs plotting to kill the king. And he, through Esther, had told the king that this plot was to be so. And when the king found that that was actually a plot going on, he had the man hanged. So on this evening when he's unable to sleep, he's being reread sort of the testimonies of things that have been going on in the kingdom recently. And he's realizing that, oh, hang on, Mordecai, this man, saved my life. And if it hadn't been for him, I would be dead because these men who were close to me were, were going to kill me. What have I done to honor him? And they're like, nothing. So he brings in Haman and asks him, what do you think I should do for a man that has shown me great honor? And Haman is like going above and beyond, like parade him on one of your own horses, have him dressed by one of the most important princes in the region, like, you know, and just let everybody see how you see, how you feel about him. Maybe half-heartedly thinking that's what I would want you to do to me. Maybe he's thinking that's what you're going to do for me. And so he's going with these like elaborate plans of this is how you should honor him. And the king is like, great, do exactly what you just said to the letter, but do it to Mordecai. <laughs> the man you hate the most. Of course, the king doesn't know how much Haman hates Mordecai. So, so funny. So, so, so funny how that all turned on him. And so we'll continue on. We're in uh, chapter 6, uh, verse 11. So Haman took the robe and the horse, arrayed Mordecai, and led him on horseback through the city square, and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Afterward, Mordecai went back to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head covered. <laughs> when Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him, his wise men and his wife said to him, if Mordecai, before whom, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him, but you will surely fall before him. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs came and hastened to bring Haman to the banquet which Esther had prepared. So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And on the second day at the banquet of wine, the king said again to Esther, 
What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Up to half the kingdom, it'll be done. Then Queen Queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases my king, let my life be given at my petition, and my people at my request. For we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Had we been sold as male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue, although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. And so King Xerxes answered and said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? And Esther said, The adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. So Haman was terrified before the king and queen. Then the king arose in his wrath from the banquet of wine and went into the palace guard. But Haman stood before Queen Esther, pleading for his life, for he saw that evil was determined against him by the king. When the king returned from the palace of the garden to the palace of the banquet of wine, Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was. Then the king said, Will he also assault the queen while I am in this house? As the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Now Harbona, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, Look, the gallows, fifty cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. On that day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, and Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. So the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai and Esther, and appointed Mordecai over the house of Haman. Now Esther spoke again to the king, falling down at his feet, and implored him with tears to counteract the evil of Haman the Agagite, and the scheme which he had devised against the Jews. And the king held out the golden scepter towards Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king and said, If it pleases the king, and I have found favor in your sight, and this seems right in your eyes, and I am pleasing to you, let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, which he wrote to annihilate the Jews who are in all of the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the people to see the evil that I that will come to my people, and how can I endure to see the destruction of my countrymen? Then King Xerxes said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, Indeed, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows because he tried to lay his hand on the Jews. You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews as you please in the king's name, seal it with the king's signet ring, for whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. And now I'm going to skip down to verse 15 of chapter 8, where it says, So Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white, with a great crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad, and the Jews had light and gladness, joy and honor. And in every province and city, wherever the king's command and decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a holiday. Then many of the people of the land became Jews because fear of the Jews fell upon them. And finally, in chapter 10, verse 1, King Xerxes imposed tribute on the land and on the islands of the sea. Now all the acts of his power and his might and the account of the greatness of Mordecai to which the king advanced him 
Are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Medea and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second to King Xerxes and was great among the Jews and well received by the multitude of his brethren, seeking the good of his people and speaking peace to all of his countrymen. Yeah, sorry, I couldn't help but add that song in there. Um, hopefully it played for you, but it was a little clip of the song I Am Woman by Emmy Maley. It's a awesome, awesome song. It's so empowering. And that story is so awesome. It really just gets you excited about how God can take something so infinitely evil and infinitely massive and put the right people into the right positions to overturn it. And it just shows you how God, how how creative God is in the ways that he does things and how the most unthinkably terrible things can be stopped, can be thwarted, and how he used a powerful, well-placed woman to do it. And I just find, gosh, there are literally innumerable lessons in this story, it's so encouraging, it's uplifting, it's it's crazy to think that one man could hate another man so much that he decides the way he's going to deal with it is to exterminate every person in his his race, essentially. But when you look at the hatred that Nazism had for the Jews, for example, or different groups across the world have for certain other races or certain other religious beliefs, that hatred is so evident. And it can be found in one person, but that one person can be in a place of great power and influence. And they'll wield that power to do the unthinkable because of their the evil and the hatred in their heart. And if there aren't people willing to stand up, aren't willing to say, as Esther said, if I perish, I perish. If I die, I die, but I've got to tell the truth. I have to try to stop this. I have to do what I can because perhaps I was born for such a time as this. Perhaps I was put in this role for this very reason. And she took a chance. She trusted God. She prayed and fasted, which I thought was pretty fascinating. She asked them to pray and fast for three days. And on the third day, she was going to go shoot her shot. You know, she was going to go say what had had to be done. But she did it so well, so intelligently. She had an original banquet or a meeting just between her and the king and Haman with some wine and some cheese and some chats, you know, luring Haman into a false sense of confidence. And he was so confident that he creates some gallows (laughs) afterwards because he's thinking he's the man on top and he's just going to go ahead and deal with Mordecai. He's just going to hang Mordecai. He's going to kill all the Jews. This is how it's going to go down. And then at the next meeting is when she decides to tell the truth of what she's got going on. And it was it was so God too, because the king couldn't sleep the night in between those two meetings. And in between those two meetings is when he has these thoughts about, wait a minute, I need to honor this man Mordecai. So it sends Haman out to honor Mordecai, which Haman reluctantly, no doubt, does. And then she tells the king what Haman is trying to do to the people of Mordecai. And it is at this moment when she says, of whom I am also related. So so the king, I'm sure he's an intelligent man, is figuring, huh, so if this law goes into effect and all the Jews are killed, this man that has saved my life is going to be one of the people killed, and my wife, who I didn't know was a Jew, will also be killed. Who would do this evil? 
right? He's And he might even be thinking it very personally. Who would do this to me? Who would try to kill my own wife? And Haman probably had no idea that Esther was related to Mordecai or was a Jew, but the king could easily take that quite personally. And he, and and his eunuchs are like, well, uh, we've, we've got some gallows right over here at Haman's house that he just created the other day. We could just hang him on those. I mean, the, the irony, the beautiful irony of the very weapon of destruction he intended to use on Mordecai was used on him. Man, if that isn't the scripture in and of itself, what the enemy meant for evil, God will use for good. Not that any murder is good, good, right? But it's it's the thing that that destructive weapon wasn't going to be used as it was intended. And it was going to rid the world of a very evil, evil man who was hell-bent on the destruction of an entire race of people. And the king does right. Xerxes does right by Esther. He lets them revoke the commandment that had been sent out courtesy of Haman. And then he advances Mordecai to be essentially in the role that Haman was. And he gives Haman's house to Esther. I mean, talk about a complete destruction of everything Haman had represented, everything he had to his own. It was taken from him and given into the hands of the very people he was seeking to destroy. All because a woman said yes to going in to being presented before this king and was willing to sacrifice her life to stand up for these people, stand up for her people, to say, okay, God, here I am, send me, I'll do it. That's a brave woman. You know, she had one word from Mordecai saying, hey, what if this is your time to shine? But at the end of the day, she had to decide for herself, I'm going to do this. And she did it and she did it well. May we all have the boldness of Esther. <laughs> so thank you for tuning in today for another episode of the Narrow Road Podcast. I hope this has been encouraging and I will tune in to you again tomorrow. I will be back as always for another episode of the podcast tomorrow. So I hope you will be back there with me at that time. Thanks again and bye-bye.